Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Well, what happens when you're passionate about more than one thing? My guest today fits the bill. She is veteran radio producer, documentarian, and co-founder of Premier Radio Networks, Louise Pullanker, who hosts, along with Fritz Coleman, a previous guest on the show, Media Path Podcasts. It's a podcast about a look back at what has defined our media for the past half century, as well as discussions of current cultural events. The podcast is available on their website, which is mediapathpodcast.com, as well as Apple and Spotify podcasts and YouTube. And you can follow Louise on Facebook and X, formerly Twitter. Louise, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ira. Sure. So I guess first thing out of the box, how did you get into the podcast business when you had such a background in radio? I think that it was a natural for me. It, w- it was natural, the progression into podcasting, because in radio where there were limited platforms, I was behind the scenes. But in podcasting, you could put on your own show. So I was in as soon as I got <laughs> any kind of software on my computer and any kind of dissemination platform on the Internet. I was ready to go because I'd been doing a lot of radio behind the scenes and doing voices and doing all kinds of stuff that was required of me at Premier Radio. I never got to be the host of my own show. And you know, Ira, that it's fun to host your own show. Absolutely correct. Especially when either the guest or the host goose and you can edit it later so we don't appear to be idiots. That's Oh, I do all kinds of editing to make myself interesting. (laughs) How did you get started in radio? Because usually... You have such a varied background. I want to talk about some of your other aspects of your career, including documentaries. But how did you get started in radio? Did you have a, a reel-to-reel cassette? I did. Recording? I did not have. I did not have a wire recorder, so I don't go that far back. But I did have a reel-to-reel cassette, and I had a reel-to-reel tape recorder, WebCore, as a matter of fact. So I was. I had one of those guys. It was like a little mini. Those mini reels you could record on both sides. Right. Then I got a cassette. I got a cassette version of that. So I was always pressing play and record it, putting on a show. So I think I got into radio in my own little bedroom in suburban Buffalo. I, I was always interested in in technology and creativity. Did you ever experiment with? Uh, I mentioned a wire recorders that goes back many many decades before my time even. But did you ever see one and use it? No, I oh, would yeah. love to. I, yeah. I I love that kind of historical antique or or technological antique in terms of antiques that help you understand how people did things. I find that absolutely fascinating. But how did I actually get into the radio business? I think I, yes, I'm telling you I had an interest in it. Right. But in, when I got to Los Angeles, I thought the only way into entertainment was you had to become a studio page. So I set about (laughs) getting myself employed as a studio page and then I I worked uh, on a on a lot called Metro Tape Metro Media, and that led to a job at a show called PM Magazine. And one week we had Rick D's guest hosting our TV show, and he was the top DJ in Los Angeles. And someone told me, my friend Alex told me that he was funny. I didn't know because I did not have an FM radio in my car, but. <laughs> Just I AM. Thought, All I like right. <laughs> this is good. This guy's funny. Yeah. I, I want to be funny. So I the script I wrote for him had all these little funny lines in it and stuff. And about a month later, he called me from his radio show on the air, like while a song was playing, and offered me a job writing 
the Rick D's Weekly Top 40, which was going to be a syndicated radio show, or it already was, but he didn't like the writers that he was working with. So I left television and went in, went to write for Rick D's, and that's how I got into writing. Oh, okay. And eventually you, you worked for Premiere, and you were co-founded Premiere, and how did that come about? I just want to kind of give people a sense of your background before we talk about your podcast that you to do with, with Fritz. Yeah, sure. So I was writing for Rick Keys and I, we, we did that at Kiss FM and Kiss FM was the number one radio station. It was, it was, um, in Los in Angeles, middle, in Los Angeles, in the middle of Hollywood is where it was located. Right. And I got to know the other disc jockeys that worked there. And there was a disc jockey named Tim Kelly, who was from Buffalo. His dad knew my dad. So uh, that's pretty world. crazy yeah. in LA, right? That's nuts. So we became <laughs> friends and we decided to start our own little syndicated show. But Tim's idea was to do, to take what our afternoon guy was a guy named Big Ron O'Brien. And he would every Friday count down the top 40, but he would put together his own little script and his own interviews of the artists that came up to Kiss FM. He would cut them down, cut down to like 20 second little sound bites of Huey Lewis or Bruce Hornsby or, you know, whoever, whoever, Billy Ocean, whoever stopped by, he'd have all that. I'm dating, I'm giving you names that make you go, oh, was this the 80s? Yes, it was. It was That's fine. No, no, I wanted to get your background for our audience. That's fine. Yeah. And so so Tim's idea is to make what, what Big Ron did, to make those materials available to disc jockeys across the country. So they could do their own local top 40, but it would sound like they had interviewed all these, all these celebrities. Yeah, and it's called cheating, I think. Yes. Well, it's called <laughs> tools. I call it I call it tools because the, you're hosting a four hour show right. every day. It's that's a lot that that disc jockeys do, and they've got to be entertaining. They get to play records, but yeah, it's cheating that they didn't write the script and they didn't interview Billy Ocean. Yeah, but they can make it their own, and that's what we do. Like we would when we would type up the plain rap countdown, we would type on half a page it would be the intro to Billy Ocean. And on the other half of the page, it'd be the intro to Huey Lewis. It was either a straight read or a read that came with a soundbite, mm -hmm. which would be. And then the disc jockeys could cut the page in half mm -hmm. because in every city, the top 40 was slightly different. So we let them arrange it. In, we always left it. And now it's time for a number. And then we would leave that blank and let them do their own prep work. So I'd say it was a co-writing effort. I like that. Us and <laughs> yeah, I like that. So you was know, this prior to Premiere or is that now you've already established yeah. or co-started Premiere? That was the first Premiere show. Okay. That was, we were calling it the Plain Rap Countdown, but we spelled rap with just without the W to make it clever. Very. You're and, the original rapper. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Then Steve Lehman, who also worked at, at Kiss FM, had a had his own show called National Lampoon's True Facts, which was which is a mini feature. So we we blended our company, the Plain Rap Countdown, with Steve's company, and we formed Premier Radio Networks. And then the third show that we did was together was called The Clance Count or what did he call it? The Clance Update of All My Children. It was another mini feature. So this this comedian named Brad Sanders would call radio stations with like he was calling from a phone booth, like to give them the insight on what had happened that day on All My Children. So it was like a funny kind of fish out of water, you know, this guy given the, the lowdown on, on it, like it was some sort of like insider info on what had happened on All My Children. He made it really funny, funny guy. And those were the three shows that we launched Premiere with. Oh, okay. So when did you first meet 
Fritz Coleman, who I mentioned, was also a guest on this show. But when did you first meet Fritz? And then when did the idea come into one or both of your minds that, you know what, we could do a podcast? And we well, call I, it I Media mean, Path Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't come we didn't come up with a podcast idea till much later because I've known him for about 30 years. But I went with a friend to see a one-man play that he was doing. He was doing stand-up and he was the the weatherman at Channel 4, NBC affiliate in Los Angeles. And he was doing a one-man show at a very small theater. So my friend and I went and it was very easy to talk to him afterwards. And his show gave me some ideas for a TV show that he could do. And we started talking and we just started working together and we became friends. And I wound up like teaching his kids how to play drums and guitar and stuff. We just became friends. <laughs> so and, you fast forward after all these decades, and now the two of you are doing this podcast. Did you know? Yeah. It, uh, did you know it would work out in this in this sense? There's two types of working out. One is that the podcast is successful, but the other thing is that you two can work together, which obviously you could because you knew each other. But sometimes friends and work don't always mix. But in this case, it did. Well, we had worked together because I kept producing his one man shows. He would do, he was still doing the weather and he would do these one man shows. Right. But he was the one that he, he was out front. In this case, you're both out right. front. That That's the difference I'm, that I'm looking at. Yeah. But the crossover was that he had watched me start podcasting. So hmm. my podcast with Fritz was my, is my fifth podcast. So I had started podcasting with other co-hosts and was doing that since you could, like since like maybe 2005, since it became technology that you could do make your own show and put it out on the internet and then when fritz retired we decided to do a podcast together but he wasn't allowed to do podcasts while he was working for nbc right under contract he couldn't do it how did mm -hmm. the two of you work out the format for the podcast and i'm going to have you explain what the podcast is about better than i did i just gave a cursory explanation but the type of guests that you had the type of format how you divide your responsibilities or labors on the show itself. How did all that come about? Did you both work together on that or did you lay it out for him or how did that work? I think I suggested that we this be the name and that this would this premise would allow us to have the conversations that we have anyway about the things that we both love. We have a lot of mutual interests. We both really love documentaries, books, history, politics, but we also really love pop culture and we're baby boomers. So we love talking to the people that really influenced us as, as kids. And so we have a lot of guests that are kind of like baby boomer comfort content. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do something similar. I don't do it exclusively, but I view it, maybe you do the same thing, Louise, is that it's, it's a way of coming full circle when you grow up and you listen or watch somebody and they have an influence on you, either just even from an entertainment standpoint. And then you get to meet them as adults, and you're able to interview them as adults. It's, it's as I say, coming full circle. You, you're, you're touching, again, your past in a way. Do you absolutely. get the same sense of that? No, absolutely. And it's, it's really an honor, and it makes you feel like a person that this individual that you admired as a child would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you as peers. It really makes you feel validated. It touches the little kid in you, the 12-year-old, and says, you're going to be okay. You're, you're okay. And I, I hope it does that for listeners as well, that, you know, they just get a chance to see how this, what this person is like and feel like they're a friend. 
Yeah, I like that. I think the trick, and a little inside baseball for our listeners and viewers, the trick is to balance it out between, now you, of course, and Fritz know a lot of these people, but sometimes you're going to interview somebody who you admired as a child, and they're going to be great on the podcast, but you also have to realize that they're not going to be friends with you afterwards. They're just coming on and doing it, and it's great, but it's not necessarily be followed by a friendship ongoing if that makes sense. That, that's that that's a really interesting and important point for podcasters is that yes, they are not your friend. This is a transaction. You guys are doing this thing together. But at the same time, you know, you could meet that person backstage or after a show and that's a transaction as well and you just sure. have to cherish that memory that yeah. you that it went well that you you didn't say anything, you know, completely ridiculous. And that you get to have that moment in your heart forever. That's 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 what it is. It's absolutely to be cherished for the moment that it was. And because well, we're this is it's like if a plumber comes over, you know, he's not going to become it's like I really, really need for whatever I put in that toilet to go elsewhere. And if that that's our arrangement is that you're going to make sure that happens and I'm going to give you some money. And I'm looking into your eyes right now and I think you seem like awesome person, but you will not be at our next barbecue. And <laughs> I should just clarify in advance. No, really, it, it really is. It's like that. It's, it it's is. a business it transaction. Is. Yeah, and hopefully is. you share a moment because every human that we encounter deserves for us to share a moment with them. And because, and that's no less meaningful than a friendship on the grand scheme of things, right? Is right. like, did I treat that person decently, you know, and did they treat me with respect? And that that really matters, and it doesn't have to become a friendship for it to qualify as meaningful. And the advantage is, if you are a host of a podcast or co-host, is that after you have that meaningful moment, you have a recording of the encounter. Wow. So well said. You know, I sounds... don't record most of my encounters with my plumber. Yeah, that's so true. That... <laughs> I do. I just want to have verification <laughs> that they did what they're supposed to do. But okay, that's just me. But... <laughs> have you ever had them come in and show you when they snake the pipe, the video of it? Yes. And yes. ask you if you want a copy? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't been asked that. But no, that's funny. No. <laughs> I will take your word for it. I do not. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to. My pipe. <laughs> But on the other hand, I don't want your video, but listen, are you available for a podcast interview next week? <laughs> <laughs> they probably would love that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, there are, obviously, I mentioned earlier, you and Fritz have friends of yours on, as I do over the years, too. So in that case, you, you actually have existing friends that you have on as guests, which also makes it wonderful, too. But even just to have an, a guest who's special that isn't a friend of yours, just to have that connection for that moment. Again, as you mentioned, going backstage, maybe you get a photo with them. So there's your souvenir. Our souvenirs are the actual MP3 files or MP4 files of his video of our encounters with various people over the years. I just want to give our audience a little sense of why I think we all do podcasts, partly of why we all do podcasts. So yeah. you, yeah, and go ahead. I, I didn't want to interrupt. Well, I was also going to say that when you do a podcast, when you meet somebody at the deli and you're like, oh my God, it's Garth and Trisha. Like, uh, wh what do I say? You're not probably going to say anything too profound. I mean, you may, you may, if the deli meats are impressive <laughs> that morning, but, but when you're doing a podcast, you have the excuse to go very deep, very quickly. Like you get to talk about something that matters right away. 
and right. and you there's a purpose for your having this conversation rather than you interrupting someone's meal. It's they knew it was going to happen. You know it's going to happen, and right. so it's an agreed upon encounter, not happenstance. And so it can it can be more intimate that way. And we get, we get that excuse, yeah. Right, and I, my philosophy is always, and I tell my guests this before we start, is that I want my guests to shine. I don't want them to have a bad experience. I want them to be the best that they can be. And if I can help it along with a terrible joke or a question, as you said, you do a deep dive, a question that all of a sudden strikes their own curiosity or their own memory, that that's always good too. Especially, oh, yeah. if, especially if you know something about the guest that most people don't, and you can throw that into the conversation in an indirect way, which signals to them that you do know a lot about them. And that really makes it much more of a bonding experience for that time you're doing the podcast. Right. Absolutely. So those are the behind the scenes discussions. I want to get a little bit more onto your podcast. But before I do that, one of the documentaries that you did, and I wanted to mention your background as a documentarian, was the a family band, The Cow Sill Story, which again, small world, because I've interviewed The Cow Sills twice on this show. I'm sorry, on my other podcast. And they it's amazing because the number of engagements in terms of shows I've done, it was incredibly high for the councils even now. So it shows you the staying power of the group. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. When you're sitting there with Fritz, or maybe not sitting there, but on Zoom with Fritz or on the phone, however no, we, you guys we do, do it. it in person. We have a studio. Okay. So, but, but, but before you actually do the interview, I, I was saying more in the, the prep side of things. When you're, sitting okay. down, when you're sitting down with him, now we can talk about the studio. When you're sitting down with him to come up with guest ideas, was there ever a time where you suggested something and Fritz said, no, I don't think so, or he suggested somebody and you said, no, I don't think so? Does that happen? If the other person wants the guest, then, I'm, then we're okay with it because then we know that that other person will be informed and feel steeped in this topic. If neither one of us really feels it, then it's easy. And that that is the case more often than not. But if like Fritz were really like Fritz is like way more into the blues than I am. So if it's like a really bluesy thing that I don't have like a like a deep history of knowledge in, I know that Fritz is going to have it. So, yeah, I if the other person wants the guest, then it's a go. Right. And depending on which host knows the most, they do the heavy lifting. Yeah, for sure. Like I know that when I talk about The Bachelor... Fritz's eyes are going to roll back. And he... <laughs> no, I'm teasing. He actually finds it really interesting when I talk to my comedi comedian friends about uh, reality. He finds it quite amusing because he doesn't watch those shows himself. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually amazed just by your background that you're a fan of such shows as well. But hey, to each his own. What do I know? I think it may be part of like the estrogen coursing through me that... <laughs> <laughs> makes it like you just get stamped with this kind of like you will be attending the bachelor. This <laughs> is mandatory viewing. Well, since I don't I, since I don't have any of that estrogen, I think I'll pass. Thank you though. That's good. What would you say before I get more into the details of how you and Fritz operate with this and you have a, your own studio? What's the most significant guest from your point of view? I know I asked that of Fritz and I can't remember what he answered. I should remember, but I just I can't at the moment. I didn't write it down before talking with you about who is the most interesting or most unusual or most significant guest you've had on the podcast? Oh, I don't know. That those are that's interesting. Everyone's different for a different everyone's 
unique in their in their own way and they all bring bring something to it it also depends on your personal interests and your you know who resonated with you as a child especially like for me maybe it was talking to jerry mathers because i really did grow up on leave it to beaver but i was a lot more nervous speaking to adam schiff because i wanted to you know rise to the occasion of speaking to someone who knows as much as he knows as you know a public servant so but and Henry Winkler is probably our our most well-known guest but he's a friend so he's very easy to talk to but we we've had a lot of people on that we watched as kids so just talking to like Bill Moomy from who was on Lost in Space or Butch Patrick or Pat Boone or Vicki Lawrence or Marty Croft or Johnny Whitaker, Chris Knight from the Brady Bunch. I mean, all of those people are important to me because they have a part of my heart from my childhood. Understood so, totally. Lot, some, yeah, some people would say Keith Morrison's the most important person in the world because they watch Dateline on a loop. So. <laughs> when you decide that you want a particular guest, is it you or Fritz or someone else that reaches out to them to see if they'd be interested in coming on the Media Path podcast? Well, mostly we are getting hit up now by publicists who are working with someone who has something to promote. But, you know, we do make wish lists because Fritz and I are very interested in politics. And so we always want to talk to anyone who's written a book about politics and current events. But those may not be our most popular shows, but it's what it's what he and I are the most interested in. But we we will sometimes ask Dina Friedman, our our um our producer and our talent coordinator for certain people. Like I'll see that somebody has written a book and I'll, I'll, I'll write to her and say, Hey, so-and-so has written a book. Cause that means they will be doing press as you know, and right. that they may be more available than if you just say, Oh my gosh, I'd really love to talk to this person. I'm impressed and, that you guys have a producer and a booker and all that. That's great. Yeah. Most podcasters do all that themselves. Right. Including yours truly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get that. And and that's and we both know how much work it is. Right. From our perspective, we do a video version of our show on YouTube that's like making a movie once a week. So I am a filmmaker, so I do add a lot of visual elements and that takes up a lot a lot of my week. It's just the post production of, of our show. So it really helps having Dina sure. do the booking. You mentioned that you and Fritz are both obviously in the studio when you're doing the show. Is the studio in Los Angeles or in Santa Barbara? Because I know you're involved with a couple of things in Santa Barbara, which we can talk about if we have time. But is the studio in Los Angeles? Yeah, the studio is in my home in Los Angeles. So I, I have a home in Los Angeles. And then I married a man from Santa Barbara. So we also have a home in Santa Barbara, which is about 80 miles away from this home in Sherman Oaks. So I've had a studio in this home since I bought the home in the mid-90s and have done one thing or another in there, whether it's just my music or making the Cow Sales mm -hmm. movie or uh, making podcasts. Uh, there's always been something going on in there. And now it really looks like a studio. We've got a cool backdrop and a radio table and cameras and a whole tech table. And yeah, it's pretty Impressive. tricked out. It'd be too bad if you moved. I think here's my suggestion. If you moved, just you, if you moved to Venice or even Santa Monica, then you and your husband could have a bi-coastal relationship since he's mm -hmm. in Santa Barbara and then you'd be in Santa Monica since both are by the ocean. Well, think about that. See what, get back to me on that one. Yeah, I think work. I'll stay. 
Okay, never I mind. Like, <laughs> I get to I get in the car and uh, eighty, you know, ninety minutes, eighty minutes later, I'm I'm smelling the ocean. Yes, wonderful. I know what you mean. That's great. When you decide to have a guest on, they come on. Do you get feedback from them afterwards at all, either from their publicist or themselves, where they'll send you an email or give you a call and say, hey, I really enjoyed it, something like that? Do you get that kind of feedback from guests? We do. We usually get the feedback right after we finish recording. They usually are grateful that we were so prepared. We pride ourselves on being very prepared. If someone has written a book, we, we read the book, we watch the movie, we, we study the internet as, as, you, as you do, I'm sure. There's all kinds of ways to prepare. When I was at Premiere, you had to, you know, you're constantly begging publicists to fax you something. <laughs> the old and fax machine, yeah. Going to the magazine stand to see if there was any article anywhere about a certain group. But now there's really no excuse to not be prepared. Even if you haven't been sent enough things personally, just Googling people usually offers like a ton of information. And it's kind of fun. I think doing the research is kind of fun. It is. It is. I'm going to ask my non sequitur question, then we'll, we'll uh, finish up. And that is, your husband puts on the Jewish Film Festival in Santa Barbara. Do you help him with that? It's an annual not event. Not really. Not really. It's kind of weird that he's a lawyer and he's doing a show, the show busy thing there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, he, 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 watches, he watches films like every weekend. He just keeps watching. He keeps watching films and submissions. And, you know, I... In order to help him with that, I'd have to be on the board and be available for all the meetings. And I'm spending so much of my time. I mean, the Jewish Film Festival in Santa Barbara is a, is a big deal. They put any film festival is a big deal. You have to be invested. So, yes, I help him emotionally and I, I show up. I take photographs of, of the events and the speakers and share what, what I can. But he's also really good at hosting things like he can stand up in front of people and, and talk very fluently because he was a prosecutor. So he mm -hmm. prosecutors try cases. So. He likes to talk when no one's interrupting him. <laughs> it's like, to him, that's like, this is easy. No one's yelling objection. Uh -oh, I got this. So he, you know. Well, before I let you go, what do you see as the future for Media Path Podcast? And how did the name come about? Maybe that's the better question. How did that name come about, Media Path Podcast? Well, you go to GoDaddy and you start typing in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted it to be this, I wanted it to sort of like exemplify what we all get to do now with the internet, you know, how, how intrigued I am with the concept that if you, if you like Iris Everything Bagel, you know, you might also like this show or he talked about this person. I'd like to learn more about that person. And you don't have to go to the library and ask them to send away for a book that may arrive in three months, you know, which is what I did as a kid. The interlibrary loan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you have the Fred Astaire biography? It's out of print. All right. Let me, we'll, we'll order that. We'll give you a call, you know, and now you just can find everything. So right. I wanted to have a title that sort of like gave you the feeling of, wow, whatever you want, whatever, whatever path you want to carve out through media land, you get to. Whatever interests you, if you suddenly see, hear a chubby checker song and like, oh, what else did this guy, you know, you could be 17 and suddenly you could have Tina Turner's entire catalog memorized by the time you're 18. I mean, how cool is that? I know, it's a whole new world. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been veteran radio producer and documentarian, co-founder of Premier Radio Networks, Louise 
pull anchor who hosts along with Fritz Coleman, Media Path Podcast that we've been talking about. The podcast is available on their website, mediapathpodcast.com, as well as Apple and Spotify podcasts and YouTube, of course. And you can follow Louise on Facebook and X, formerly Twitter. Hey, Louise, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ira. I very much enjoyed it. Same here. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.